Matthew chapter 5. We're going to start reading at verse 13. Jesus drew all his, all that would hear him, drew the crowd together after he healed them. He sat up on a mountainside and he taught them. And as we read in verse 13, he tells those who are hearing, those who are listening, he says this, you are the salt of the earth. But if it's lost its taste, how shall saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand. And it gives light to all that are in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Let's pray. Lord, we heard your word today. And God, we're not just going to be hearers of the word. We're going to be doers. So we now open our hearts, our minds, our spirits. Speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. And we thank you, Father, that your word that has gone forth does not return void, but it is faithful to accomplish much. And so, Father, we're just asking, God, that you, God, would speak to us today. As we learn your word and apply your word to our hearts, we thank you for your presence that's leading us and guiding us. We're sensitive to what you want to say today. Speak, Holy Spirit. Speak, for we are listening. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Amen and amen. You can be seated in the presence of the Lord. As you're seated, give him some praise in the house. Come on. I'm so excited for Family Sunday where we get to be together and, and, and celebrate water baptism. It's going to be incredible. Maybe for you, the concept of water baptism is new, or maybe it's an old religious thing. Can I tell you that what's going to take place today in the service is not just some people getting wet. It's not just jumping in a pool. This right here is super spiritual. The Bible is, goes to say so specifically that you go in and the old creation, the man dead in their sin, but you rise a new creation in Christ Jesus. It says, behold, the old is gone and the new is here. And so the people that are getting baptized today, this is the last time you're going to see them in their old self because they're going to arise a new creation in Christ. And that, that old Michael's gone. They're a new creation. And so we're excited to be able to share in that uh, we're also excited that the kiddos are in the room and they have their little packets. They can do activities. They can listen. They can lean in. Uh, if you didn't grab a packet, feel free to do that. They're right by the double doors back there. You can do that. But at any time that you need a space for your child to get some wiggles out, if they become restless or vocal or uh, you just are like, I need, I need to go somewhere, right out those doors over there is our family room and, and it's streaming the service. And feel free to take advantage of that if you would like, but they're not hindering or distracting anything, we encourage it. Matter of fact, they talk back to me more than you do, okay? And so they, they're helping me today. And so we're excited that they get to be in the house as we continue our series on the Sermon on the Mount. And we're taking some time to walk through Matthew chapter 5 
6 and 7. That is uh, Jesus' most famous sermon. Uh, sermon on the Mount is kind of the, the manifesto of the king, if you will. It's King Jesus coming in and ushering in this new kingdom, this new way of life for, for citizens of heaven, for followers of Christ. He's, he's telling them, this is how you should live. And so as I, as I told you a while ago, he's sitting on a mountainside. It's a tall hill. And he's sitting there, and everybody's gathered around him, and he's telling them these principles. And we just walked through uh, eight of these Beatitudes, and we talked about what that means. And so now we're going to continue on in our text where he talks about salt and light. Salt and light. And this section is probably the most popular of the Sermon on the Mount. It's the most referred to. It's the most common. It's the most that you've heard about. And so if, if you've ever heard any of the Sermon on the Mount, maybe you've heard that you're the salt of the earth, that you're the, the, the light of the world. You've probably heard those kind of things. And we're going to talk about that today and, and what that means. What does it mean to be salt and light? So Jesus uses this metaphor of salt and light to show their function in the world. He's showing his followers his function. And for us who are followers of Jesus, that applies to us. He's showing us who we are, that, you know, we, you always hear you're created on purpose for a purpose. Well, what's my purpose? Today, we're going to discover part of your purpose today and why God created you and ordained you and set you apart, and we're going to discover our purpose. And we see that as we look at uh, verses 13 and 14. He says, you are, you are. He's establishing right there identity, but he's also establishing the audience, who is he talking to? When he says you are, who is that? Is that the random Joe Blow? Is that the, the guy that just maybe is just listening to see what Jesus is talking about? Who is the you are's? Well, let's remember that this is not a bunch of different sermons. This is one big sermon. And Jesus just got done talking about those who would live as citizens of this new kingdom, that this is how they should live. And this is the building point to now he says, okay, if you want to live, if you want to mourn, if you want to be meek, if you want to be humble, if you want to hunger and thirst for righteousness, he said, that is the you are. He said, that is who I'm talking to. And so we see that the, the characteristics of those who are in the kingdom of heaven are, are those who mourn in spirit or meek and, and hunger and thirst for righteousness and, and all those things. And now he's saying, okay, if you live this way, you're the salt of the earth. If you live this way, you're the light of the world. And so we get to see here that Jesus is talking about the people that are living out the, the characteristics of the beatitude. They are embodying them. You see, he's telling, he's telling them, this is your identity. And this is so relevant for people in the world today because in the world today, we're searching for identity. We're searching for purpose. We're looking for who am I? Why was I created? What am I here for and Jesus is laying it out. Jesus tells us who we are. Their identity doesn't come from anything or anybody. It comes from Jesus Christ. And Ephesians would tell us that because it says in Ephesians 2 that we are his workmanship. He created us. He fashioned us. We're his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk them out. And so you're his. You're created in his likeness, in his image. You are a son, a daughter of this king, the King Jesus. He, he, he has created you. And so we see here that once you know whose you are, then you know who you are. You find your identity and your purpose. Since he created you, 
He gives you the purpose. He gives you the functionality. And I think it's just worth us re, uh, establishing that so that we can understand that we don't find purpose in a career. We don't find purpose in a relationship. Our identity doesn't come through uh, our children. We don't find those things in anything but Jesus Christ. And you will struggle. You will be torn on the inside. You will be in a dilemma most of your life until you realize that you're created in Christ, that he gives you your identity. He gives you your purpose. And one of the things that he unveils to us is that part of that purpose is to be salt and to be light. And as you live out these beatitudes, we, we got to kind of the climax of them last week where we talked about if you live this way, you're going to be persecuted. And none of us want to be persecuted, right? But, but, but Jesus says, if you live this way, you're going to be persecuted. And now our human natural tendencies is when we're going to face opposition, we're going to face persecution, it's to retreat. It's to scale back. I don't want to be persecuted. I don't want to be hated. I don't want to face opposition. But, but Jesus is telling him, I didn't call you to retreat. I called you to go rescue. I didn't call you to retreat back when they persecute you. I called you to run in and bless them and be salt and light to them. And so when Jesus says be salt and light, he's not talking about in the church. He's talking about to those in the world who hate you and persecute you and are mad at your God. Those are the people that Jesus is now saying you must go to and be salt and be light to those people. And so we see that it's not just about me, that when Jesus changes me, when he gives me my identity and purpose, when I'm a new creation in Christ, it's not just for my good. It's for the good of others. That when I've been made different, it's not just so that I can sit back and, and be made different and look around at everybody else and say, <laughs> it stinks to be them. No, 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 you've been made different. You've been made different to make a difference. We have been made different by Christ Jesus to go and to make a difference, to carry this purpose out. Jesus wants you to make a difference in this world. You were created to make a difference in your job, in your school. You're created to make a difference in your family. And so we don't just sit back and retreat. We run in and we rescue. We rescue the people of the world, the people of this earth that he talks about. We're salt and light to them. And so I think it's important to establish up front to get some things clear is that the sum of our Christianity is not in this room. The sum of our Christianity is not just coming to church on Sunday, just as the kingdom of heaven is a right now and a not yet principle. Same with our salvation is that it's not just about eternal life in heaven. That's great. And I can't wait for Jesus to come back and us to spend eternity before my king. But we've got a job to do right now that the kingdom of heaven is at hand. It's right now. So we have a job to walk out, to play. We have a part to play in this rescue mission that God has for the world. And so we're not sitting back and thinking we're better, sitting back and thinking, well, man, they're on the road to destruction. We're, we're not sitting back. We're running in and we're rescuing them. And Jesus very intentionally says, you're going to do it through being salt. And you're going to do it through being light. And so let's talk about salt and light. What did Jesus mean when he said salt? You're the salt of the earth. That literally, the earth there means soil. You're the salt of the soil. You're the salt of the ground. What does that mean? Well, in the first century context of these listeners, as Jesus is on this mountainside, 
he's not referring to table salt. He's not referring to sodium chloride that sits on every table at every restaurant. He's not, they didn't have restaurants. They didn't have table salt that just sat around. They, they, they didn't have just sodium chloride. They had a variety of uses for salt. And so we, let's talk about a few of them. Uh, Jesus never clarified exactly what he meant by it. There's several uses for salt in the first century on into other centuries. We see that uh, salt was used in a variety of places. All of these could be true to what Jesus means because all of them have other scriptures to back them up. But I, I want to talk about a couple and then we'll land on one that I believe is the most relevant for, for Jesus's audience. First, I think it's interesting that salt was actually used for currency. That salt was so precious in that time that it was used for currency. Can you imagine getting paid in salt? Kids, tell me if you want to get paid in salt, right? Like, give me some, some pink salt, right? That's what I want to get paid in, some pink Himalayan salt. Salt was used for currency. Roman soldiers oftentimes would get paid in salt. That's where the expression comes from, oh, he's worth his weight in salt. You ever heard that? Somebody being worth their weight in salt? It's because it was so precious. It was so valuable. And so the same could be said of us as believers, as if we're going to be salt to the earth, that we're precious and we're valuable, that we should be adding value to the earth, that in every environment that we come in, we're not tearing it down. We're adding value to it. The world's doing a great job at tearing itself down. It's not our job to go in and make matters worse. It's our job to add value to it. And so when we go into an environment, we're not all about withdrawals. We're not just withdrawing. We're, adding, we're depositing we're adding things in. And so uh, they used it for salary, for, for uh, wages. Also, they did use it to season food. Obviously, everything tastes better with salt, right? Well, how, how many husbands salt your food before even tasting your wife's cooking, right? You're just like, it's better with salt, you know? And how many wives get offended that they don't try it first before they just dump a bunch of salt on it, right? Yeah. And so we, we know that, that, that salt seasons food. It, it enhances the flavor so should be said of your Christian influence, right? You should enhance the flavor of this bland world. Um, but the most common that we'll kind of land on today for uh, salt to be used in Jesus's time was as a preservative. Salt was used as a preservative. They, I know this is going to blow your mind, kiddos, but they didn't have refrigerators. They didn't have fridges, okay? They didn't even have the refrigerators that you can hit the tablet and it can show you the inside of the refrigerator, they didn't have those, all right? They didn't have twice the ice machines. They didn't have no ice, okay? And so they used salt as a preservative. They would pack the salt in, and that would preserve their meat. And that's how they would be able to eat on it for days to come, and it would not rot. Would not rot. And so the primary purpose of salt to this audience would be to make it a preservative, to preserve something. And so when Jesus is telling the crowd that you're the salt of the earth, what's he telling them? He's telling them that you're a preservative to this earth. Why do we need to preserve the earth? Well, it's pretty obvious the earth is decaying. That they're doing a pretty good job of it decaying and rotting and getting worse than what it is, and we're called to preserve it. You see, when salt is added to a meat, not only does it keep good what is good, but it keeps out what is bad. And so when we are to be salt of the earth, we're to keep good what is good, and we're to keep out what is bad. And if we don't salt the earth, then it rots, 
and it decays. And so, so oftentimes we're so guilty of this as Christians, myself included, is that we look around at the, at the world and it's decaying, it's rotting away, and we sit back and we blame the world. We blame the world for acting like the world when it is not their job to preserve it, it's our job. We're called to be salt, to preserve that which God created. There are things in this book that God created that are good, that are godly, that are established for the earth, that marriage is established for the earth, that government is established for the earth. And if we don't, if we don't take seriously these things that God established, if we don't take seriously godly parenting, if we don't take, take seriously even things as, as much as nutrition and what God says about, about agriculture and all these things, if we don't keep it good, it will decay. And so it's not the, earth's, it's not the world's problem that things are decaying. It's our problem because there's a lack of salt. There's a lack of salt. And what I, one thing I, I know about salt is for salt to preserve something, for it to function properly, for it to do what it's intended to do, the salt has to be in contact with the meat. The salt has to touch the meat for it to preserve it. That means Christians have to be in the world to preserve it. That the salt can't stay in the shaker. It can't stay on the table. That, that our faith can't just be in this room. That we've got to take it out. And we've got to be the salt of the earth. That we have to be in contact with the, the world that is decaying, that is rotting away. It is our job to preserve it. It's our job not just to talk about Jesus on, church, on Sundays. If the only time we talk about Jesus and the goodness of God and all that he's done in our life, if all we do is talk about it on a Sunday, we're preaching to the choir. We're missing our purpose. Our salt is staying in the salt shaker with all the other salt. We're called to go and to be seasoned to the earth, to be preservative, to enhance it, to make it better, to add value to it. We're, we're called to add salt to this bland, tasteless world. And so we see that that's our purpose, to be salt, to go and preserve that which God established, to be salt, to keep out that which is bad, that's trying to keep it, creep in, that's trying to rot away. And as I think about salt and preserving, I don't know much about it, but I do know this, that you can't just sprinkle a couple of grains of salt and, and expect it to preserve the whole, the whole meat, the whole lamb, the whole leg quarter. It, gotta, it has to have a high concentration of salt. That means that all of us, not just one of us, not just the pastoral team, not just the Habershaws and their outreach ministry, all of us, all of us have to play our part in preserving the world and rescuing them and telling them about the goodness of God and preaching the gospel to them. And so he says that we're the salt of the earth. And then he says something very interesting. And many theologians will flip-flop back and forth on what they think this means. But he says, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under feet. So salt losing its saltiness? Maybe for those science majors in the room, those who love science, you know that sodium chloride does not lose its saltiness. So what in the world is Jesus talking about? Well, you see where they would get salt from the Mediterranean Sea or the Dead Sea, when they would get salt from these bodies of water, as they would harvest the salt, it wasn't just coming out as pure salt. There was a process to, to get to separate the salt 
from the sand, the salt from the impurities. It's called a process of sifting. In the Christian world, it's called sanctification. That when Jesus collects us up, there's some things that has to come off our life. And so for us to be salt of the earth, sometimes we got to go through a, a sifting, a, sanctifi a sanctifying process to become more pure, more holy, more like him. You see, this is so important to the process. This is so important to what God has called you to do because salt can only lose its saltiness when there's too many impurities, when there's too many things mixed in it, when there's too many ways of the world mixed in that which God called holy, that which God set apart, it loses its power. You see, impurities cause us to lose our power. Impurities cause us not to be so potent and not to be so salty. You know, salty in today's language isn't a good thing. <laughs> but Jesus calls, called us to be salty, to be salty saints, to be salty Christians. We're called to be salty. And we got to keep out the impurities to have the power to preserve. You've got to keep out those impurities. You see, so often as we think about reaching the world, going into dark places, going into places that they don't know Jesus and people that don't know Jesus and environments like that, we think that we've got to become less Christian to reach them. We think that we've got to become like them in order to relate to them. And so often we try so hard to fit in. Can I tell you why it's so hard for you to fit in? It's because you weren't called to fit in. You were called to stand out, to stand out. You're called to be a, thermom a thermostat, not a thermometer, right? We set the temperature of the environment. We don't adapt to it. And so we set apart, we're set apart on purpose, for a purpose, and that's preservation. That's to preserve that which is decaying and to add to what is good. And so we see that God doesn't want us to mix in, that God doesn't want us to be full of impurities but he wants to sanctify us and make us holy and more like him so that we can be potent and powerful and do what we were created to do. And so we're salt of the earth. The next thing he says, the next metaphor that Jesus uses is light. Light. You're the light of the world. Now, when he says lights, he's not talking about LED lights. He's not talking about electricity. Light for them was simply a container with some oil and a wick, and a flame. And that, that light right there was the light that they had, had in their house, had in their churches, had in their workplaces. It was that light that they lit, the oil, the wick, and the flame. And Jesus says, you're the light of the world. You're a city set on a hill. People don't light this type of light and put it under a basket, but they put it on a stand so that it gives light to all that are in the house. So we to or to let our light shine before others so they may see your good works and give glory to your Father. So we are not only salt to a decaying world, we're light to a dark world. That the world is dark and the world is good at being dark. And it's okay because they're the world. They don't know what to do. It's our job to light the way. It's our job to show them the way. We're not putting this light in their face and blinding them and exposing them. No, no, no. We're lighting the way for them. We're showing them a better way. And the Bible says we are the light. Now we have to live it out. We've got to walk out this light. And so we've been, we've been given the responsibility to keep that light burning, to keep oil in our lamps, 
to keep that flame going. It's our responsibility to walk that out, to carry it, to steward it well. And the light that we all have on the inside of us does not make that much of an impact if it's in the room full of other lights. All of us together, if one of the lights go out, you can't really tell a difference. What that tells me is that your light, the light on the inside of you, that light that Jesus Christ has placed in you, best shines in the darkness. That your light best shines in the dark places, in the places of this world where people are far from God. You see, we're called to go and to be light. Hear me today that we're not just coming together to let our little light shine together. We're, go we're going to the world to show them a better way, that Jesus is the way. That's what he said in John chapter 8. Jesus tells us he is the light. He is the way. John chapter 8, verse 12. It says, that, again, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but have the light of light. Guess what? It's all about Jesus. It's all about Jesus. Jesus is the light. Jesus gives us that light. We bring people to Jesus, that our job is not to bring people to church. Our job is to bring people to Jesus Christ, to bring him to Jesus, to light the way, not to light the way to Cornerstone, but to light the way to Jesus Christ. He is the way. If we walk in him, We'll never walk in darkness because we're carrying that light. We're, we're light carriers. We've been called to this. This gives so much more context to 1 Peter. 1 Peter 2.9 is a great verse to preach. It's a great verse to, to put it in your house. It's a great verse for you to write on your mirror. It's a great verse, but you, we have to understand the context of it. If we're light to the world, if, we've been, if we're going to the world, it makes sense when he says that I'm a chosen race. It makes sense when he says, I'm a royal priesthood. I'm a holy nation. I'm a people for his own possession. I'm set apart. Why? So that I might proclaim the excellencies of him who called me out of darkness into his marvelous light. You see, so when you go into an environment and you're lighting the way, you're showing them the light of Jesus, it's not from the perspective of, oh, I'm better than you. My heart isn't, oh, I got the light and you don't. My, my heart is not, oh, I, I'm more religious. I'm closer to Jesus and you're just dark and dying. No, no, I realized that I too once was in darkness. And then now he called me out of that darkness. And if he can call me out of that darkness, he can call you out of any darkness, any addiction, any depression that you have. He can call you out of that. And so we see that. That's our purpose. Our purpose is to tell people that he did it for me and he'll do it for you that we shine the way, that we let them see our light. We tell others what he did in our, in our life. I love what Acts 26 says. Acts 26 verse, verse 18 says this. This is what Jesus told Paul. So he told Paul, here's your purpose, Paul. I want you to open their eyes that they may turn from darkness to light, from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by, by faith in me. So when we're shining our light into the dark world, when we're being salt to this earth, what are we doing? We're, what are we doing? We're rescuing them from the powers of darkness into the power of God. We're rescuing them from darkness to light. And so we're not just going into an environment and, and just being all holy and being all Christian just so people can look at me and they can think, oh man, that dude has it all together. All that dude must really be close to Jesus. All that dude is like a, you know, a, a high level Christian. He's so Chris, right? That, that, that's not what it's all about. 
It's all about, so they see my works, my lifestyle, and they give him glory. They give him honor. How, how does unchurched people, people in darkness, how do they give God glory? How do they give him honor? They come to him. They're rescued from darkness into his light. So when it says they may see your good works and give honor and glory to God, that is salvation. That is Jesus rescuing them, saving them from their sins. And so when people see you, it should make them want to be saved, want to be rescued, want to be set free, want to be one with their creator. They they should want to be with Jesus by seeing Jesus in you. And so we see that. That is our purpose, that every time we go into darkness, every time that our light shines, our light dispels the darkness, makes it go away. Darkness can never, never overcome the light. Darkness never can overcome the light. And I want, us to, I want us to look just for a moment where Jesus tells us to be this light. Because so often we, we want to pick and choose the environment that we, we want to be light in, the environment that we want to share Jesus in, the environment that we want to represent God well. But Jesus is very intentional when he tells them to be light. And he mentions three places in verse 14 through 16 to where we're to let our light shine. He says, you're the light of the world. You're a city set on a hill. And then he says, and it gives light to all that are in the house. You notice what he did there. He said, you're you're not only a light in the world, you're a light in your city. Not only are you a light in your city, you're a light in your house. And if I can just be real for a moment, it's easy for us to be a light in the world, but it's hard for us to be a light in our house. When we go to work, we're one person. When we come to church, we're Christian. We bring our Bible, we're praying, our hands are lifted high. But as your children are your witness in the room today, are you a light in your house? That when you're in your house and your pastor's not around you, your small group's not around you, your journey group's not around you, when there's no accountability around you, do you let your light shine in your house? Do people in your house, your children, see your good deeds and want to be in a relationship with Jesus Christ? To want to have what dad has. I want to have what mom has. Do they see your light shining? And so Jesus would then go on to say in verse 16 that when we do this, they are to give glory to the Father. If Jesus would specify that we need to give glory to the Father, that means that there's a way that we can give glory to ourselves. And so often when we do good things, when we give, when we serve, for just being honest, it's so easy for us to do it for our satisfaction, for people to look at us, for us to get what we need. But Jesus is telling us that you're not doing it for yourself, you're doing it for other people that you've been made different to make a difference in somebody else's life. That whenever they see your good deeds and see your good works, it's not, oh, look at Michael. It's, oh, look at Jesus. That Jesus is good. That Jesus is working through him. The purpose of being salt and light in this world is summed up in Psalm 34, verse 8, where it says, oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Taste by being salt 
and see by being light. Taste and see that Jesus is good. People are coming to faith because you're, they're tasting and seeing. You know, as I thought about me being salt and losing my saltiness, as I thought about me putting my light under a lamp, I thought about how I would be so useless, so useless to the kingdom of God. But then I thought, not only am I useless, but I'm wasted potential. And so often, when we don't do what God called us to do, when we sit on our hands, when we just sit back and mind my own business, I'm just going to be about me, myself, and I, not only are we useless to the kingdom, but you're sitting on wasted potential. That God has given you so much potential, so many godly gifts and anointings and abilities to impact the darkness, to impact the world. And we're sitting on our hands. Church, God called us to go to the earth, to go to the world, to be the salt of the earth. And so it's not just a challenge. It's an ultimatum that God gives us because he says that if we aren't salt, if we lose our saltiness, then we'll be thrown away. We'll be thrown away and trampled on, useless, missing out on our purpose. And so God is calling us and challenging us and giving us this, saying, be salt, be light. And so we have to decide that I don't care what my neighbor thinks. I don't care what my coworker thinks. I don't care what they label me as. I'm going to let my light shine bright for Jesus Christ. I'm going to be salt to the earth. I'm going to go and be who he called me to be. No one lights a lamp and puts it under a basket. We're all tempted to put our light under a basket. We're all tempted to keep it hidden. Jesus lit a fire inside of us, changed us. Who are we to keep it hidden? Who are we? And so in this moment today, I would love for us to bow our heads before the Lord, to bow in prayer and reflecting on what he's speaking to us. As we reflect on, am I being salt to the earth? Am I being light to the darkness? And as we take a moment to reflect on all that God is saying to us. I realize that in this room today, there are people that Jesus lit a fire. He changed your life. And you've hidden that fire under a basket. You've covered it up. And today is the day that you're going to decide to remove the cover, remove the fear, remove the shame, not care about what they label you, not care about what they t tell you, talk about you, and you're going to let your light shine bright for Jesus. As I was praying about this message, God was showing me that there's others who have hidden their light for so long that it's went out. You've lost your fire, lost your passion for Jesus, your love for him, your zeal for the things of God. You're not concerned about the lost. 
your fire's out. In this place today, if you've lost your passion, your zeal, your fire is no longer burning, I'm reminded of what Paul told Timothy. He said, Timothy, he said, you got to fan into flame that which is on the inside of you, that God placed it there, that it has not left you, that there are some embers that are still burning, and you just got to fan the fire. You got to fan it into flame. And today, I believe that the the Holy Spirit is, is calling you and drawing you to fan into flame that which is on the inside of you, that God has set you apart. He's destined you. He's created you for more. And today's where you get your fire back. Today's where you burn bright for Jesus, where you get your passion back, and you're going to see the things of God begin to take place in your life. You're going to see God not only move in you, but through you to change those that are around you. Others are in the room that you hear us talking about Jesus. You hear us talking about this creator, God. You hear us talking about the Holy Spirit living in us and that his presence is an open door. But if you're being honest in this place today, you would say, Michael, I hear what you're saying. But for me, God feels far, far away, like a distant thought. And I'm not close to him. I don't have a relationship with him. If that's you today, you're not here by accident. You're not feeling what you're feeling on accident. It's the Holy Spirit drawing you into a relationship with him. The Bible says that today is the day of salvation, that today is the day that you can surrender all and give your life to Jesus Christ. Let him light that fire on the inside of you. Let it burn bright for Jesus. As others are now bowing and, and reflecting and the Holy Spirit speaking to them and they're, 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 they're getting impurities out of their life, they're confessing sin, your next step is you need to get right with Jesus Christ. You need to surrender to him and make him the Lord of your life. If that's you today, we're going to pray in just a moment. We're going to move into a response time where people will respond to our prayer team for healing and the things that are on their heart. But your response is, I'm giving my life to Jesus today. And you're going to tell them that today's my day. I'm giving my life to Christ. I would love to just pray with you. I want to include you in a prayer right now. They're all going to pray together in the room today. If that's you and you want to give your life to Jesus Christ, just look at me and lift up your hands and say, that's me. I'm giving my life to Jesus. I see your hand, sir. I see your hand. Anybody else? I see your hand. I see your hand. Anybody else? I'm giving my life to Jesus today. Thank you. All over this house, let's stand together. All stand together. We're going to pray and celebrate those who just raise their hand. They're going to respond to our prayer team. They're making their way right now to, to pray with those people that have needs in their life and those who gave their life to Jesus. Listen to me before we pray. We're going to spend a few moments responding to what the Holy Spirit is drawing in our hearts to do. Our prayer team is here to pray with you, to touch and agree, to uh, enable you to be able to have somebody to talk to 
to partner with. If you've given your life to Christ, they, they have a Bible for you, a new believer's God for you. They wanna connect with you on a personal level. And so we're gonna spend some time responding to what Jesus is doing. Many will respond in the altar, some will respond to the prayer team, others will worship in their seat. We're gonna give it a few moments. And then in just a few moments, we're gonna uh, start the baptism. If you can't see, it's okay. Stay standing, it'll be on the side screens. On the side screens will be a feed of those getting baptized. And here's what I'd ask of you is that when they come up out of the water, a new creation in Christ, we're gonna join with heaven and rejoice. And so I wanna tear the roof off the place. I wanna make some noise for Jesus because they just became a new creation in Christ. And so we're not gonna keep quiet like we're at a high school graduation. We're gonna praise the Lord in this place, amen? Let's pray together. Let's pray together before we respond to the altar. Father, in this moment right now, we're bowing before you, God thanking you for what you're doing in this place. And God, you saw the hearts of every, every soul that lifted up their hand to you and said, I'm giving my life to you today. And God, we're just thankful, Father, that you, you call us out of darkness into your light. Thank you, Father, that you're rescuing them from their sin. You're rescuing them from strongholds and from, from bondage in their life. We thank you for that, Father. And Lord, we're just excited for what you're doing in their life. We commit. To, to coming alongside them and, and partnering with them, welcoming them, welcoming them into the family. We thank you for that. And Father, we just thank you for those who are gonna go public with their faith and water baptism. We thank you for what you're about to do in this moment of response in the altar as you heal broken hearts, as you heal bodies. We thank you for that, Lord. God, we thank you that we can make an altar and we can come before you and we can hear from heaven and we can be touched by God. We thank you. Holy Spirit, come. We don't make room. We give you the room right now. We give you the room. Holy Spirit, come and fill us up. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. Come on, let's worship the Lord together as we respond.